We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode number 80 to be exact. You know, I like round numbers, so number 80 is a very nice number, but I'm your co-host, Alexander Gungarizic. I'm joined, as usual, by Samuel Rowan. Sam, before we dive into a jam-packed and very special episode, as always, how are you doing this week? Doing well, doing well. We're, we're up against... A uh, bit of a time crunch here because we got some important Canadian matches in just a day's time. So uh, we've got a good interview to kind of get you prepped for some of that stuff. Um, albeit you'll have to listen to it quickly because it's uh, gotta gotta try to stay relevant. No, but I think a lot of the a lot of the topics we discussed were kind of they span beyond just these next couple matches. It's kind of about the Canadian men's national team setup more generally, and and some good info about uh, Canadian MLS teams as well. So. Uh, excited to dive into it well without further ado we're, we're gonna jump right in the interview and we'll catch you on the other side with some more talk and, and conversation about the national team uh, men's side that is with the u23s and the seniors but to help us talk about that and preview the upcoming games talk about what's happened a bit the u23s we had mr canada soccer himself mitch tierney from uh, over at waking the red and uh, darby magazine to chat all things canadian soccer as you you'll hear in the interview he earned that Mr. Canada soccer title with his great analysis, always on top of all things Canadian soccer. So without further ado, we'll dive right into that audio. All right. Hello, everybody. We're joined today by a very special guest all the way from the East Coast, Toronto, Mitchell Tierney, editor at Waking the Red and editorial d- director of content of at Darby Magazine. That's uh, that's what we've been told, and he's he's been doing a lot of great work with those things. So, Mitchell, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I had Alex on my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, so a bit of a home and away uh, series here. Hopefully, I can <laughs> deliver a good performance in my away away leg here. Yeah, no, we were we're expecting big things, so no pressure. But we're going to be talking all things Canadian men's national team, and I mean, no perfect more perfect person than Mitch, who's got his ears plugged into everything that is Canadian men's national team. So without much further ado, let's talk about the elephant in the room, so say it. Canada men's national team are going to play two massive games. And more importantly, they have a roster for those two uh, two big games. They released it quite late, quite the scramble to you know scour social media, get names on the roster, tick off a list. But there are 24 players on the list instead of the usual 23. What are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts is I thought we'd be talking more about who's not there versus who is there. And that in its own makes this a positive list. You know, um, obviously a couple of guys not being there, Jonathan David, Scott Arfield, Jonathan Osorio misses out due to injury. But I really, considering what we've been hearing leading up to this announcement and how late they left the announcement, I thought it would be a lot worse. And 
there's a lot of exciting names on here. I mean, the return of Atiba Hutchinson, I think, is the main one. The fact that they were able to get Alfonso Davies. Now, we obviously found out today that he's suspended for a while with Bayern Munich. So that probably helped out in, in that regard. But, yeah, I think it's it's incredibly exciting. The return of Kyle Aaron. Can't uh, let that go unmentioned either, who I'm incredibly excited to see back in, in Canadian colors now that he's in much better form than he's been in the last little bit. So I think that's the main takeaway is that, you know, for for as much hand-wringing as there was over who might be there, this is about as strong as a Canadian roster as we could have expected. I guess uh, my question leading off of that would be, you know, this is a, a bit of a new feeling for Canada to have such a strong roster for matches like this. So what can the coaching staff and the players make of that? Like, what opportunity is there? Is it just a chance to kind of build camaraderie? Is this, you know, really working on your style of play? Like what, what benefits can there be in addition to winning matches from having a roster this strong? Well, they obviously had the January camp, but we know how many absences were from that. That was mostly North American based players and a lot of the guys that are now over at Olympic qualifying as well. So this is really the first time in what a year that more than a year since last January that Canada mostly best players have been all together for, for a big game. And even that camp was missing Alfonso, I think, and, and some of the other European-based guys. So there's really an opportunity for them to, to start building for towards the rest of the qualifying campaign. You know, we expect um, them to have some difficult matches even in this round, um, considering, I believe it's Suriname, right, who, who was able to bring in all the, the Dutch internationals, um, Dutch dual internationals. So that could be a tricky game for Canada. So... It's really an opportunity for Herdman to finally get face to face with a bunch of these players and and figure out you know who are going to be the key guys going forward. But yeah, it's it's obviously a massive positive that so many of these guys have decided to come into camp and really proves that what Herdman's preaching is is working because you know for a guy like Atipa Hutchinson who's in a title race right now with Besiktas to travel all the way around the world to Florida for during a pandemic for a difficult game and two games that Canada rightly should win without him. That's massive. Well, to build off of that, Atiba Hutchinson, he was kind of, you look at that roster, he's probably the main, at least for those a little more familiar with the Canadian national team, aside from Alfonso Davies, that's the intriguing name. And yeah, just, just I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on that return. You kind of touched on it a bit there. 38 years old, kind of semi-retired after the Gold Cup two years ago. Thought we'd seen the last of him in the shirt. Never, I guess, officially retired, so the door was always open. And for him to come back in the midst of a pandemic um, for for first-round qualifiers, how big is that for the program, that they're getting commitment from players like that? What does that say to the other players in the roster when you see your, your I guess, your captain, really? That's what he, what he has to be at this stage, making a commitment like this. Well, I joked a little bit offline that, you know, this is just Atiba coming in to do some scouting for Besiktas maybe and see, see well, who else he can bring with him to uh, the Turkish champions. But, um, yeah, I think it's obviously massive. And, and I mean, it just shows how important these games are and really drives home the point that Canada's super serious about qualifying for this World Cup because even the preliminary games that obviously they have to win – um, there's still everyone's showing up everyone's committed to this long-term project and and you know uh, H- having Hutchinson there I know he's 38 but he's still playing at, at a top level and you know even if he can just impart some of that wisdom on a guy like Eustachio or, or some of those other younger midfielders that's that's huge for the group as well so um, having his experience there is is going to be huge for this game and carrying forward as well 
I guess I'm jumping to another player in the midfield. Scott Arfield made some comments recently that have certainly picked up some steam. Um, I'm interested for your thoughts on on those comments and kind of what Herdman had to say about it as well. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Like, we'll we'll see where Scott Arfield is come this summer. I know he's coming off injury, um, so that's a that's a bit of a challenge for him. And he obviously he was focused this year a lot on Glasgow Rangers and and winning that title and was able to do that. So. Um, I mean, you know, he's your captain, right? So as much as we see Hutchinson coming in, you'd want to see Arfield in there as well. I wonder if the armband takes a switch as a result of that. I know um, we saw, or I think when Arfield initially came in, uh, Herbman challenged him and was like, if you're not fully committed, I'll give the armband to someone else. And I think the guy he mentioned was Jonathan Osorio, which is somewhat interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, we. I hope to see Arfield come this summer. If if he's not there, it's you know, I I think you have to just start sticking with the group that came together, especially right now when uh, you don't have as much time to work with these guys as you usually would. So we'll, we'll see. It's it's a developing situation, I think, and and who knows what the what everyone's comments mean. Um, there's been a lot of I guess ambiguity with with what they've said. Yeah, well, the Arfield one's interesting because for those a bit unfamiliar with what's gone on there, John Herdman was asked about Scott Arfield not being there. And understandably, Arfield's getting up there in age. He's had a few injuries. He has every reason to decline a call-up like this. But I think it was more the fact that Herdman said that uh, Arfield wasn't a fan of the level of competition for these games. He didn't feel like it was worth it to to travel over. So there is is reason to, to be a bit frustrated if you're a Canadian fan, but kind of... You know, everyone has their reasons. Maybe he could have worded it a bit better. I think he's still committed to the cause. But like you said, it might be uh, coming from your captain. It could maybe see the armband switch elsewhere. But moving on on the roster, the, the one area of concern, maybe you look up and down the list, there's a lot of positives. Center back. It's, it's been an issue for a while. It's, you know, it's getting better. Ricardo Ferreira is committed to the cause, even though he's kind of a part of unattached FC, which does leave a bit of a worry. And there's, you know, Frank Stirring. Joel Waterman's a very interesting piece. What do you make of the center back situation? Do you think it's still an issue or is Canada still have a lot of work to do there? Yeah, still a lot of work to do. I mean, Ferrara helps. We don't exactly know what he looks like now. I know what he looked like a couple of years ago and I'm excited for, for that player, but I don't think he'll be quite the, the same guy. Um, the experience is good regardless. Frank Sturing's an interesting one because I was fully thinking he'd be part of that Olympic side. Um, especially with, you know, the the weaknesses the Olympic side has had at that position, at least in terms of depth. So, it, you know, I, I, I'm i kind of surprised he's with the senior squad. He must have done something solid in the January camp and, and impressed, and he is playing at a decent level. So um, it'll be interesting to see going forward. I know there's some guys who aren't here. Scott Kennedy, Daniil Henry are two guys who I think in, in the near future will be very much in that center back mix. But for this camp, at least, I think there's enough experience and getting a guy like Steven Vittoria's in, is huge um, to, to be able to get through these games. But going forward, I mean, we all know it. <laughs> the back line is still a concern for Canada. I don't think this camp uh, this camp makes it slightly better with, with some of the new guys coming in, but I don't think it solves it by any means. So, Mitchell, oftentimes at the third sub here, we have kind of favorite sons on, on a roster, you know, some guys deep down the depth chart that we're really big fans of. So if we're looking not only at this specific roster, but like the Canadian men's national team set up more generally. Is there someone you're just banging the drum being like, this guy needs more playing time. This guy's got a lot of potential. 
Well, I mean, it's, it, it's not a hipster pick by any means anymore, but it's been Kyle Laren for a long time, especially this year, considering how well he's played. And I know now that he's got 18 goals, that might seem like, a, um, you know, not not as much of a, un, I don't know, unearthed gem or anything like that. But at the start of this season, when he was even back to when he was playing on loan in, in Belgium, I mean, this is a player that's completely changed his game, looks very different from the last time most Canadian national team fans have seen him he can play across that front line which is a, a level of flexibility that that i think will help canada in a big way and i mean the first time we saw that was john herdman tried it out against mexico didn't go so well that game but again that's another another thing to point to in terms of you know herdman kind of understanding these players very well and yeah i just think you know this is a huge opportunity for him to come in and come back in and prove that he's up there with Canada's best options uh, across that forward line. Well, moving on to kind of some of the games as well. And some of the, the, the two games at hand really, cause you can't focus too far beyond that, but Bermuda and the Cayman islands, what can we expect from them? I mean, there's maybe there's a little more tape out there on Bermuda, but Cayman islands is an open book. What are you expecting? Say if you're from Canada's perspective, yeah, who knows? Honestly, I mean, Bermuda's missing some of their key players, um, which which I don't think will help them by any means. Reggie Lamb, a guy a lot of us will know from from Toronto FC times, um, will not be there. A couple of other key players as well. So um, this isn't probably even the best version of Bermuda. So you know, if if you're Canada, you kind of just have to focus on your own game. Have to make sure you know that you'd expect both these teams to set up kind of similar to how Haiti did against Canada um, in the Olympic qualifiers, low block, um, letting Canada control a lot of the possession. If you're Canada, you just have to be prepared to work through that. And and we'll see what fitness levels look like for these teams. We're not sure on that. Um, but yeah, I think I think they should be pretty handy wins for Canada. We'll, we'll see on that. I mean, it's never easy, but the fact that they're playing in Florida on a good facility, uh, that definitely benefits the Canadian team. Yeah, I was I was definitely disappointed not to see Naki Wells on the on the <laughs> roster there for Bermuda. You know, just for my very surface level scouting, he seemed like a player to watch out for, and so that's that's too bad that Bermuda's not a little bit closer to full strength. But mm-hmm. I guess kind of building off what you just talked about, like if you were the Canadian coaching staff, or if you're kind of you know critiquing what you'd like to see them do, how much do you focus on playing? to your own style, your own identity versus kind of, you know, combating your opposition and getting the most out of these games. Like how delicate is that balance between results and kind of more tactics or like focusing on the way you want to play as a team? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think we can all say this Canadian side hasn't been tested nearly enough. I mean, they've had those two U.S. games. They had the Haiti game and a Mexico game. And under John Herdman, almost completely otherwise, they've been playing – you know, teams like Bermuda and the Cayman Islands, just the way Nations League and, and World Cup qualifiers go. So um, it's it's obviously been a tricky process. And, you know, the, the, our field comments as well linked to that. The, the quality of opposition hasn't always been the greatest. But, yeah, I mean, we, we even look at Herbman's first, uh, first camp in charge in terms of Nations League. He was beating the drum about breaking the Canadian record for most goals in a game and that sort of thing. So... I think this is really about continuing to improve on those processes, working new guys in if, if they think a guy like Theo Corbiano or even Ustakio who hasn't had much time in camp and could be a key player going forward, getting those guys in. 
Uh, I think that's critical to this camp because you, you can't waste camps right now. I know you're not playing great opponents, but these are massive opportunities to get the squad together. So uh, that's what's critical for, for Canada. And quickly before we talk again about the players who are there, because that is the focus, just one player who isn't there, because Jonathan David, he isn't there. It's, it's going to be a, a tough absence. Certainly most people are looking forward to seeing him. Just what do you make of that whole situation in France with their whole quarantine disaster and not releasing some players and releasing their own national team players? What, what, what do you make of that situation? Yeah, it's definitely weird. I mean, it obviously hurt the Canadian women's national team as well a couple months ago with Kadisha and Ashley and, and Jordan Heidema and all those players that uh, weren't able to come in and even the ones that did had to leave early. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously not ideal. Um, it's, it's hard to criticize people too, too much for um, any sort of pandemic restrictions right now. Obviously, health and safety is first and foremost, but when it's as uneven as this, I mean, it's, you know, it kind of speaks for itself. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely disappointing that Jonathan David isn't there. But again, that opens up an opportunity for a guy like Kyle Lahren. Um, even a guy like Corbiano to, to come in and, and maybe get some playing time here that, that perhaps wouldn't have if, if David was there. So, you know, you just you just roll on to the next guy if you're Canada. And again, I think we were expecting a lot more than just Jonathan David to be on those absence lists. So um, it's not worst case scenario. Not to put you on the spot too, too much, but uh, Canada versus Bermuda, Thursday afternoon, evening, depending on where you are. How do you see this team lining up? You want the the full starting eleven or just Goalie general to lineup? A striker and even if you want, you can throw in coaches where you, <laughs> they should line up on the side of the bench. What are they come out of the tunnel? <laughs> All right. Well, probably Atiba will be captain, so he'll come out of the tunnel first. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think we'll Very probably see, yeah we'll probably see the the four three three Canada's uh, rolled out in in recent um, years. It's it'll be interesting to see where they go in, in a lot of different directions because they have so many options at this camp. And I do kind of hope, especially if things go very well in the first Bermuda game that we see some of those different options against the Cayman islands, because, you know, they should have that opportunity to do so. But I mean, best 11, I think Borean's still your best keeper. Um, you probably look at Vittoria alongside, maybe even Ferrer we might want to throw him in there, have that Portuguese connection. Um, Left back, that's always tricky. I think you go out of Kubi. I think you have Davies further forward there. Um, I think that's the move going for Canada going forward. And that's a bit of a controversial one considering some people want to see him at left back. But, yeah, we, we've just seen that hasn't worked out in the past. So um, go off of that. And then midfield three is pretty easy for me. Estaki, okay, Atiba, so much flexibility there. I'm super excited. Uh, up front, I'd like to see Laren and maybe Hoylet on the other side. And then right back's uh, a little bit tricky because, um, I mean, Larea has been great. I think we might see Alistair Johnson considering how much Herman has been talking about him. Larea is the, the better player right now, but I think we see both of those guys between the two games. So I'm not sure which will start which match. And then I assume Davies up front with Laren and uh, Hoylet in that case. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's pretty probably pretty similar to at least what I'd put. Um, 
Noted th third sub favorite Sam Adekugbi not get never gets enough love at left back, so I'm glad that you threw him in there because I've seen uh, all sorts of predicted lineups that don't include him. Just a reminder to people, he's about to play in the Europa League this year. He's kind of actually really good at left back. So I will say though, at some point I do want to see the Davies uh, Larea like side because I know Larea played left back a bit for Toronto FC. I want to see how much damage those two could do. Like. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But Atacubi, I mean, I'm, I'm all for playing guys in natural positions. And I think Canada hasn't done that enough in the past. So hopefully uh, they start doing that. I mean, yeah. And, and Atacubi and Davies do have a good connection going back. I think they overlapped a bit at the Whitecaps days. Right. And the one game yeah. they played together, I think, was Cuba in, in, in September. They looked great together. So I'm all for, all for, all, all for that. But moving down the list, um, the U23s. It's it's going on now. We can't ignore it. It's made an impact on the the rosters, both for 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 the senior team and uh, the U23 team with the likes of Derek Cornelius. No way he would have been down in Mexico, but he's there and he's playing great for them. But more we, more on that later, I'm sure. But what are your thoughts on the tournament so far before we look ahead to the last game? Yeah, I mean it's been mostly positive. I think um, I think we've seen a lot of you know as much as the the senior national team is probably as close to an a team as we could expect this probably isn't uh it's maybe a c team for canada we're missing a lot of key guys uh, especially in the midfield um, which i think has has taxed the squad a little bit but i've been pretty impressed so far especially with the midfield i mean we all knew baldissimo was a great player and we all know he'd be a key player for this team but guys like metcalf have been big as well david norman jr was really good against haiti i thought and I think he's going to be a very exciting player in the Canadian Premier League this year. So, I mean, for for the game so far and going forward, it just comes down to the attack and and whether or not they can finish their chances. And obviously, they couldn't against Haiti. Um, they had a lot of good chances, and and Buchanan, you'd hope he finishes some of those. Blue Tabla uh, has hasn't looked great right in front of the net so far. So, I think that's. I mean, they're. They've had a lot of chances so far. They're going to have less chances going forward. That that'll be the difference, I think, is in terms of where this team goes, is whether or not they can they can finish those chances and and kind of speed up the attack and play a little bit. It's been it's been a little slow, um, but you would expect that to change against sides that aren't sitting back as much as you would expect Honduras and whoever they play in the semifinals if they get there to to do. Yeah. So where where do you set that expectation level for those those next couple matches if there are indeed there is indeed more than one match to come in this tournament. I think it's, I, again, this is probably a C team for Canada. I think it is still a little bit disappointing if they don't, if they don't put up a very good competitive game in the semifinal. I think we want to, to see that Canada is getting closer to the Mexico's and the United States and, and obviously the Honduras is. So I, I, I still need to see two very good performances from Canada and, I, I want them in the semifinals and from there we'll see. I mean, it's a win and you're in game, who knows, but the, these are two critical games and these are the real measuring stick ones. El Salvador and Haiti, those are good opponents, but Canada wants to get closer to those top teams and they'll have that opportunity to, to show what they can do against them, um, you know, starting tomorrow, I guess. Well, moving on from the Canadian talk, which great analysis once again, as always, but moving on to Toronto FC, which is another Another hat you, you wear, beat, you cover. Toronto FC is heading into a very interesting year after a very interesting year. Kind of <laughs> the, the word on this, the streets for your Canadian team, interesting, unexpected, etc. 
so far heading into the start of the season, kind of what are your thoughts on uh, Toronto FC's offseason and start to preseason so far? Yeah, a bit of a quiet offseason in terms of, you know, on paper moves, but definitely not a quiet offseason off the field in terms of Greg Vanny's departure, all the Josie Altidore rumors, uh, a ton of other things that, that have taken place. Um, I mean, it's interesting. We were talking to Bill Manning yesterday on our show, and and he mentioned that the lack of moves are largely because they want to see what they have in a lot of these young players. And I think this is probably the best crop of Toronto FC young players we've ever seen between guys like Jaden Nelson, Jaquiel Marshall-Ruti, Liam Frazier, all these guys coming through that that have a lot of talent and, and just have been denied that playing time because Toronto FC has been kind of in that championship hangover and still sticking with a lot of the older guys that got them there. So that's what I'm ex- most excited about this season is is their opportunity to, to have some of those younger guys in. With that being said, I think there's still a, a solid, you know, 15 goal designated player away from, you know, really competing for what they did last year, which is the supporter shield and, and then going deeper in the playoffs. This to me right now is a team that's, you know, four or five maybe in the Eastern Conference on that playoff bubble and they're they're a little bit away from, from you know getting to getting to certainly the heights they were at last year and in the past few years. Is it fair to say that with such a potential shift in philosophy from you know just compete right now to hey we want to develop this really good crop of of talented young players? Do you expect a it's maybe a TFC team where the first half of the season's a bit rough and they kind of build and grow as the season goes on? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think we've seen that done very successfully in the past certainly on on your coast by the seattle sounders who sometimes look dead in the water for the first half of the season then bring in a designated player and look completely different so um that'll certainly be something you watch out for i don't think the tfc team we see that starts the year here and it's gonna be a tricky start with with the champions league as well uh is the team that finishes the year but yeah, I know. I think I think there's a lot they can build towards, and and long term, this is what you kind of have to do. You know, if if you keep bringing in all these veteran players, one, it's going to cost you a ton of money. And we know MLSE has a ton of money, but in in pure dollars and cents, it doesn't make sense if there's no one outgoing and you can um, bring them back in. But then you're also going to see years like 2018, where sometimes those veteran players don't mesh. You don't have young guys who can step up, and and things are going to go downhill. So they want to be a sustainably good team they need to bring through some of their own and and have some young players in there as well so um i think that's the next step for this club and it's good to see they're they're at least on paper they're they're finally taking it we'll see we've been told this before so we'll see if they if they get there but um it does seem like that's the direction the organization is going in well not well i guess yeah i won't put you on the spot since this won't be predictions it's i think it's too early to do that but expectations for Toronto obviously there's Champions League it's mm-hmm. a tough opposition the league you're gonna be in Florida for parts of the year fingers crossed Toronto gets to be the home once again as as for Vancouver and Montreal what are some reasonable expectations for Toronto FC fans to have heading, heading into this year obviously coming off a year where you finish second in the supporters shield race there's always going to be high expectations but do you think maybe they sh- that should be tempered down slightly but do you, do you still think it's a playoff team basically yeah, yeah, no, I think obviously playoffs is, is minimum expectation. And, you know, I, I think you want to push for a home playoff game as well. Who knows whether that's actually at BMO Field or, or where that is. But I, I think that's that's what you, where you'd want to 
see the club at that level and, and show that they can continue to be at that level. But um, it's, it's going to be a tricky season. I mean, champions league, who knows, who knows what they look like going into that game. And we have nobody seen this team play yet. So it's going to be tricky to, to set expectations based on that. But I think at minimum playoffs, I think if you're Toronto FC, you're always trying to win the Voyagers cup. That's, that's a number one priority. They want to be back in champions league next year, hopefully with a bit more of a, a settled thing. And I think it's just more consistency from the club this year. They had real highs last year where they looked like the best team in the league. And then towards the end of the season, they looked pretty awful. So I think you're trying to get more consistency out of this team. And uh, I think that's possible considering, uh, you know, obviously this season itself hopefully is going to be a little bit less wild in terms of moving around and different start stops. So we're going to see a, a matchup pretty quick out of the gates between TFC and the Whitecaps. I'm curious for your thoughts on what the Whitecaps have done during the offseason as well as the other Canadian team, now CF Montreal, what they've done. Uh, certainly in Montreal, a lot of moving pieces, Whitecaps mm-hmm. less so, but obviously some some adjustments to both of those rosters. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting because I think the the gap has closed um, between Toronto FC and certainly the Whitecaps. We'll see about Montreal. I'm, less sold on some of their moves, even if I like the the idea that they've gone young and Canadian and I think their moves will will work out better in the longer term. But I mean, the Whitecaps could be exciting. They obviously have to gel, but um, a lot of exciting South American talent brought in. Uh, obviously, the we were talking about it on our show, but the fullback um, situation really excites me as well. They can play a completely different way if they have that quality of player running down the wing all the time. I think uh, Lucas Cavallini is going to have much better service this year and could be a really dangerous striker within the league. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for that game because, again, I think it's it's potentially a Toronto FC side that hasn't done much against a Whitecaps side that's done some of the most in, in, in the entire league. So we'll, we'll see how much that gap has really closed between the two sides. Perfect on that. We'll be looking for that. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll chat with you again maybe sometime <laughs> after that good, game. Yeah. But appreciate you taking the time, uh, as always. Um, for those unaware, just because it's always fun to share these kinds of stories. We were supposed to do this this morning, but I slept in uh, <laughs> due to some uh, unfortunate alarm clock malfunctions. But Mitch still made the time to join us, so we appreciate him greatly for that. So maybe just shout out where people can find your latest and greatest work, and then uh, we'll, we'll let you go today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Waking the Red for most of my Canadian men's national team and Toronto FC coverage. Uh, we do a show called Waking the Red Weekly on all things Toronto FC. Um, every once in a while, Whitecaps, if we have Alex on. Um, so so we do get to Canadian news as a whole as well, but mostly Toronto FC focused. And yeah, Twitter at Mitchell Tierney. Perfect. Thanks once again and uh, appreciate you taking the time. Oh yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. And there we have it. That was our conversation, all things Canadian men's soccer, MLS, Canadian teams, U23 men's national team talk. And boy, Sam, where to start? Goodness, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm excited for a jam-packed day of Canadian soccer. That's, that's what I'm first and foremost looking forward to. So uh, I guess that's my biggest takeaway. I'm, I'm also excited about the strength of the roster, the fact we're we're seeing, you know, it's it's not a full first team, obviously. I mean, you got Derek Cornelius down with the U23s. You've got 
Jonathan David, who couldn't make the trip, but uh, so many positives, so many players to look forward to. We're at least going to get a glimpse of what Canada looks like close to full strength. Obviously, we've already touched on it, but Davies being there is massive, I think, you know, especially for us out in the West Coast, a, a chance to see a, a departed favorite son, you know, make a, make a return in at least some capacity. So uh, lot, lots of good things. And, uh, and yeah, thanks to Mitch for coming on. And really, he's, you know, I think between you and Mitch, it's, you got two of the best Canadian soccer insiders out there. So um, I'm, I'm in, yeah, really distinguished company. Wow, that means a lot coming from you, but we'll quickly dive into some Canadian soccer talk as, while we're while we're here. And I mean, the roster, we didn't talk about the roster because it came out literally yesterday. And boy, what to what to make of it? I mean, the Canada looks good in goal. I'm excited with uh, Milan Borian, Max Crepo, Dane Sinclair. No worries in goal. Fullback again, like mentioned by Mitch. So much good to, to, to have there. I think personally... Richie and Larea, Richie Larea, not Anne Larea, Richie Larea and Sam Batikugbi. They're your guys at fullback. Um, midfield, boy, just so many quality options at midfield up front as well. And you add the depth of youngsters like Theo Corbinu, Jaden Nelson, who are very exciting to watch. You got other depth pieces like Samuel Pietz, a backup, which is just mind-boggling to think how good he's been for Canada, that he's not might not even start, or he maybe starts against the Cayman Islands, Tourette's. Hutchinson that is but just so much depth and, and quality across the board you have to be excited as a Canadian fan because you worried with all the quarantine laws etc that this wasn't going to go as planned you're going to be missing out on key players but they clearly stepped up to the table and you know obviously Scott Arfield wasn't always a candidate to come anyways just with his age and how he, you know he, he, the national team duty clearly the flying and all that takes a lot out of him it's not for everyone and Jonathan David would have been nice to see him. France is just, uh, uh, you know, COVID-wise, their their situation has been all over the map. So it, it's it sucks from Canada's perspective, but otherwise, it's just it's a good squad, and I think they're gonna have a, the capacity to put out a good lineup on Thursday and on Sunday, and that's all you could have asked for at this stage of the game. Yeah, I mean, I know we touched on it with Mitch, but the the only area of that roster where I, I kind of look and go, ooh, there's there's some unproven names there. It's just there's not a ton of depth. It's the center back position um, was already kind of thin, but you know, without Derek as part of the first team, without a guy like Daniel Henry, who I, I think is just over in Korea, uh, the position does get thin pretty quick. And I'm just I'm having you know these images in my head of a sloppy pass or poor positioning at the back leading to a to an embarrassing goal against and so i'm just hoping that canada is able to you know play possession based football enough to kind of avoid any center back issues and i think there are some good young players on that roster it's just we haven't seen them a ton in the men's national team setup so that's definitely a position i'm going to be watching closely that's it it's how do you massage your center back situation and maybe i'll touch upon it in an article hopefully out later today uh, on Wednesday for those who might be listening on Thursday, the day of the match, or even later, because again, as Sam said, this is timely. This You can listen to this after, but the center back situation, it, it's something where they don't necessarily have, in, you know, in athletes at center back. So you can't really play a high line. You don't really have 
guys playing regularly. So then it's just, you look at the style of center back. It's just an interesting mix of four center backs. And that, ex- that just applies to the rest of the pool. Really someone like Daniel Henry, he can be really good in certain areas of the pitch, but all of a sudden you put him in a high line. He looks like Bambi he can't handle speed coming at him from sides. And you put him in a low block. He looks like Paulo Maldini. And then someone like Derek Cornelius, maybe of the, the all the center backs there, he's probably, the most consistent i'd say just because he can kind of play a high line he can play a, a low line he's kind of like a chameleon as long as you give him a right partner he can adapt to different situations but aside from that everyone's just got their their flaws and that's normal it, that, that some positions in the roster you have players like that and even across the board everyone has flaws alfonso davies has flaws it's all about managing those flaws to the best of your ability and center back wise i think we've step more than established a low to mid block it's the way to go it massages some of the skills and yeah you look at someone someone like ricardo ferreira even if he's at if he finds his peak form from before he's had two major knee surgeries he's not going to be the sort of speed demon that you'd you'd want you'd need to play him in a low block anyways and hey at their best a ricardo ferreira Derek cornelius low block for example, that would be great. The Daniel Henry, Derek Cornelius, low block, et cetera, et cetera. Those could excellent, but you, you have to find a way to, to get that balance. If you're Herdman between, okay, we want to be an aggressive team. We want to be on the front foot, but also realizing defense wins games, especially in CONCACAF where the fields might not be good. So any chance could, could turn into a dangerous chance because they'll hit a hit a divot in the turf or something sketchy will happen you you want to be as assured as possible and that starts with the defense canada's shown when they play in a low block again i think of the u.s game one nil at home they played in the low block they accepted that they looked they looked great but, but then they went to orlando they needed a draw i don't know why they played in a high line they played in a high line and they just got absolutely torched by jordan morris and christian pulisic in transition that was expected when you see the high line so Again, Canada, yes, their center backs are an issue, but tactics can more than massage that, disguise that, however you want to put it, make that less of an issue. Yeah, I'm not I'm not being meaning to be overly negative. That's the only spot in the roster that I'm concerned about. Everywhere else I go, it feels like strength to strength. And I think that given the 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 quality of the opponents they're playing, they're gonna have the opportunity to iron out some of those issues. And there's a you know, especially the the midfield and forward group, even without our field, that's a it's an incredibly strong group for a, you know, for a, a B plus version of their their final squad. Uh, I'm super excited to watch what they can do. Exactly, it, it's going to be exciting to see. Just yeah, something like Alfonso Davies, like just to talk about him. You you're so used to if you're a longtime Canadian soccer fan, especially these first rounds, oh, you're going away to play Belize. You're going away to play the Cayman Islands. Those were always games that happened in the old format in the first round, especially because Canada wasn't highly ranked enough. They had to enter the second or first round. They weren't highly ranked enough to come in at the third round where the group, the mini, first group stage happened. And then there's the hex, obviously now all that's gone out the window, but Canada before they'd have to go play Belize and, Yes, they'd win comfortably, but you look at the roster. I remember one of those, like Russell Tybert scored a brace one year or something like that because there was just a B team. No one was able to be released. For someone from Bayern Munich, obviously the circumstance right now with this suspension helped, but for someone from Bayern Munich to travel down across the world in the midst of you know a pandemic to, to go play for the, against the Cayman Islands of Bermuda, you can't help but show that. That shows how committed people are to, to the cause and that's the most exciting thing with commitment comes desire with desire comes passion 
and then with passion there can come results hopefully you know one it's one thing to to be yes skill and talent and tactics do take a certain component of the of of the puzzle you know you, you can't win without good tactics good skilled players etc but when you're when you have skilled desired players it can go a long way and just someone like alfonso davies leading that push and i'm sure jonathan david would want to be here if he physically wasn't allowed to go it, it just you you love to see the commitment of this team absolutely and uh i, I think something i don't know do you have any final thoughts on on the first team the you know the, the men's national team itself before we transition into some u23 talk because i think that as much as these world cup qualifiers are, are obviously quite important the it does feel like the more pressing tournament right now is the u23s especially because these next couple of matches are going to have some very serious implications well that's it i these these games mean a lot personally i i, I like the world cup qualifiers there's something just it hit different when Canada put that video out yesterday of that World Cup qualifying badge being pressed onto the shirt. Like, it was, if you think about it, because it's funny, we've had this discussion with some of my friends before. If you think about it, the first round of World Cup qualifiers is technically the first round of the World Cup proper. It's the round of 212 for the World Cup. So it technically, it's the World Cup. It's it, There's something special about it. And not everyone follows along because... Everyone's just so used to seeing the World Cup itself every four years. But people forget that's a process that starts in some uh, confederations. As soon as the, the last ball is kicked in the World Cup, they're already starting the qualifiers for the next round. It's a three to four year process in some cases. And it's just so exciting that Canada is uh, on Thursday going to be starting a process that if all goes right, can go anywhere from 20 to 22 games, deciding if they get to participate at maybe three games in, in a world cup there's just something so intriguing about that process so i'm excited about that but obviously we can move on to the u23s because like you said the olympics that qualifying format is a little more jam-packed and uh it's a quicker runway let's just say if you want to actually take off towards uh bigger things yeah so we haven't uh we haven't really dove into it on the show yet but after a very very positive opening match where i think we were we're glowing about most aspects of the under-23 team. A bit of a setback against Haiti, albeit not not too much damage done, a, a goalless draw. But I think some of the some of the potential niggling issues that we saw in that opener against El Salvador kind of came to fruition in the second half against Haiti. So, Alex, I'm looking for your initial thoughts that match. Is it real cause for concern? Is it just some minor coaching tweaks needed. Uh, yeah, how, how do you feel coming off the heels of that one? So many mixed emotions, and it's good that we'll talk about this because we didn't really have a chance to, to chat much about this. So many mixed emotions, because again, you look at the first half. I rewatched it a bit uh, yesterday because I was just looking to find any good tactical sequences. They played good. They played good in the first half. I don't think that was an issue. They played nice football for the most part. Yes, they had a lot of the famed possession without penetration. Yeah, it wasn't high event, but it was very tidy, very organized. If you're a coach, you're probably happy with it. If you're a viewer, maybe less so. But it it, it was it seemed like things were going according to plan. Yeah, if you look at some of the stats, Canada didn't give up a shot that first half. They had like four or five shots of their own. They had their best chances. That Godinho shot, he maybe should have kept a little lower and on, on target earlier on. That could open up the game. Tejon Buchanan maybe could have done better with that cutback from Brim around the 20th minute, et cetera, et cetera. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. But what I liked about the tactics was 
yeah, how tidy Canada was at, out playing out the back. There was n- near nearly no mistakes. Baldissimo, when allowed the space, he was just finding Theo Bear, that money connection. I don't know why they weren't going to that more. And it, there was just, yeah, good principles being instilled. What worries me is that second half because the legs went. It's hot. You're playing a Haiti team. For them, they could run for five hours in that heat and not seem tired. Fear Marobiello why didn't you turn to your bench earlier? We mentioned it earlier in the game when talking about rotation. Yes, we were like, okay, maybe Canada isn't going to rotate. That happened. We, we we kind of saw that coming. So it wasn't surprising on that front. But one thing that at least I, I think we both mentioned, if you're not going to rotate, turn to your bench early. Like make a sub at halftime. Make all like four out of your five subs by the 70, uh, 60th minute and then save one last one for a potential injury or, or a last minute change. Mauro Biello made his first sub in like the 60th minute in the heat when Haiti was turning up the pressure, you could have certainly kind of kept gotten your head around above water, but instead they're just allowing themselves to sink, to sink, to sink. And on one hand, it shows you how good Canada's defense is right now with someone like Derek Cornelius and James Pantemis in goal and David Norman Jr. To be honest, those guys saved Canada. Those three, like all in their own way, were the man of the match for that game. Obviously Pantemis was the actual man of the match, but don't, sleep on how good Norman Jr. and Derek Cornelius were. Aside from one mistake from Norman Jr. that nearly ended up in the back of his net, to give credit to them. They played 90 minutes in the heat. They looked good for the most part. But the players in front of them, and understandably so, it's hard to run as a forward in those kinds of games. That was tough to see. And just some of the tactics in the second half, consistently lumping the ball forward to Tejon Buchanan. He's like a a six-foot winger. Like, why are you lumping the ball? At least Theo Bear, I wouldn't want you to lump it to him every time. But at least there's plausible explanations behind consistently lumping a ball to your six foot four target man. Not so much about trying to lump it to your six foot wide player. And, you know, maybe again, it's fatigue. It happens in these sorts of games. I'm not blaming these young players for some of them, their first experience since CONCACAF, but as a coach, you got to manage that. Okay. Keep the ball on the ground guys. Honestly, press Haiti as, as crazy as it sounds. They were really tired. Their bench was short man press with Haiti sub off your players early so you have fresh legs to press i just thought the game management wasn't there but in terms of the players again we were it seems like we're just moving you know the earth over the fact that they drew haiti honduras and el salvador ended up drawing the damage was ended up being nothing really nothing changed in the group canada was even if how honduras or el salvador would have won canada still had a chance to win the group with the win on thursday something that's still very much in play i just think As someone mentioned to me, or at least on Twitter, I saw this could actually be a good thing for Canada because all teams that end up winning something, sometimes they need a loss before or or a tough result to teach them something. And I think Canada learned a lot about themselves on Monday. Yeah, I think it was a nice opportunity for a little bit of a reality check heading into the biggest match of the the group stage, right? If you'd you'd rolled over... Haiti 2 nil, but not played your best, then maybe you're riding a bit of false confidence going into that third match and it could create some issues. But I think now all those Canadian players and the coaching staff understand that they need to, you know, not that they weren't taking it seriously before, but it just brings that extra level of dedication and focus, I think. So that's really positive. In terms of kind of the fitness issue, you know, Haiti had three or not three, pardon me, I think it was seven players that didn't start in the opener. So, you know, as much as the FA dropped the ball there for Haiti, it also provided them a bunch of fresh players for the second match. And I think that goes even further into your comments about, 
not utilizing subs in in the way we would have liked to see. I mean, that's that's why this podcast is called the third sub because you know Mark DeSantos at times the substitutions haven't really lived up to expectation, and and I was getting very similar vibes from that Haiti match. But I think that I think that a lot was learned. I thought that James Pantemis's comments in the post match availability were really telling to what you said about him, Derek Cornelius, David Norman Jr. They were the backbone of that team, and I think if you can if you can carry those three guys going forwards, then you know you just need to make some tweaks in other areas. But that that backbone's really solid, and uh, and I, I was again impressed by that. I mean. Pantema said it, two clean sheets in a row. That that can't really be undersold. So yes, there were some challenges, but I think there's still there's a lot more things in the positive category heading into this this third match than than major concerns. That's it. I think the defense don't sleep on the defense. Canada in past tournaments, they've yes, they've made it through to the semis, but you look at some of their scores, it's three, two, two ones, barn four four threes, barn burner games. Tournament football is about keeping things tidy at the back and getting the goals you need. And I think when you got tidy at the back, the other equation is just getting more chances. And at least Canada has the talent. And, hey, individual talent, it works. Look at El Salvador. Tejon Buchanan carried the team on his back, and he wasn't able to do so on, on, on Monday. I think try, try and less to focus on that. Don't jam every play between Buchanan just because it got him frustrated and he was getting man marked, which is expected. He had a good first game. But you have talent, guys. I mean, Baloo Tabla, maybe on another day he finishes that, that one chance and you're, you're sitting here, you're not as worried. Or Theo Bear gets more chances. Again, feed the bear. I don't know what you know why, why they were so reluctant to, to feed him the proper service that he requires. But, again, the defense for me in tournament football, I'd rather – it's it's it, you'd rather have your team have a good defense and just have to figure out how to score than be absolutely running and gunning your way around three two four threes against Hades and El Salvador's because against Mexico that's gonna get you you slapped up. But same with the U.S. At least Canada if they make it out of the group stage, which to be fair, a draw gets them gets them out, a win gets them out in first, even a loss as long as the the, the other teams in the other game don't. If there's a draw, they're guaranteed to get out. If there's a certain win by a certain goal difference, gets them out. They're almost 80% getting out, and it's Canada. That 20% could loom large. We, we can't ignore that. But should they get out of the group, at least the style of play that they're playing should get them results. I, at least give them a chance at results, sorry, against the U.S. or Mexico, because obviously those are the two teams to play. To watch they've been dominant they've been imposing we talked about canada last round having the most impressive win of the first set of games well the u.s really sh- i mean again it was the dominican republic but they showed a lot more against them than mexico did and again mexico kind of just cruised its way to another big win so those two teams looked really good if you're canada you're going to need to use this third game to to show teams okay if you defend well in that game and find your offense then i'd feel a lot more confident about them heading into the last round should they make it there yeah, and what, what I'll be looking for in that last matchup with Honduras is something a little more similar to the first goal we saw against El Salvador. Like a, I, I guess the first goal against El Salvador was kind of on the counter, but at least it was a a team build-up goal, you know, with multiple players involved with the midfield kind of, you know, distributing to the forwards rather than just a moment of individual brilliance. Because I think that's going to be important. At some point, Canada has to be able to score as a team rather than, you know, 
hoofing it to Buchanan or hoping that Theo Bear can turn on it and strike. You need to, you know, create through passing, create through buildup in addition to just having your best players be your best players. So if even if it's a 1-1 draw or something like that and Canada can show that they can create through buildup, I'll be a lot more encouraged heading to the to the elimination round. Well, what's interesting is heading in to this last game, I actually am, I'm more confident in Canada's ability to pick up a win than they against Honduras and I am against Haiti. Haiti is actually a nightmare match. Just just well. based on style, you're saying. Yeah, style-wise, I think Haiti troubled Honduras what they could considering they had an outfield player in goal when they gave Especially, up most. They were good in that second half. That's it. Haiti grows into games. They're a tough team. I could see them beating El Salvador. So El Salvador didn't really convince me. But Honduras just hasn't looked good. They kind of cruised through their first game. El Salvador pushed them a bit, and they just didn't look all that good against El Salvador. So I think they're kind of a team that obviously on pedigree – they they can they're probably going to get out of the group and who knows they might go to the Olympics they have the pedigree but in terms of if you've actually watched them play they haven't been all that convincing their style isn't particularly dynamic it's just it's Concacaf they've got the tools to 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 beat through this tough region but if I'm Canada I think there's absolutely a lot to be exploited defensively they relax at times they don't offer too much speed in transition so I trust Cornelius and Norman Jr or Montgomery uh, against them. I think Canada could, uh, if, if I'm looking, I'm a little more confident in Canada's chances in this Honduras game than I am against Haiti because Haiti, again, and the speed they offer in transition, the way they play, it causes problems. But I could I could see some big things happening for, for Canada in this game. I think this Honduras game could exactly be what the doctor ordered maybe before the, the final round, sh- again, should they make it there. Yeah, maybe this is my my Homer Canada hat on, but I'm expecting a big bounce back, and I think I think Canada takes this matchup against Honduras and and proceeds to the semifinals in that top spot, and then we'll we'll be getting uh, an a really exciting matchup one way or another, and one I'm really looking forward to. But I to kind of you know try to summarize everything we said, it was it was a bit of a a bit of a tough match against Haiti, and one where I guess they could have done better, but I think it also leads to a lot of positives that they should be able to carry forward to this this all-important match tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, Alex, any any additional thoughts here before we sign off? Yeah, again, just pre- prepare for the worst. <laughs> it's Canada, you know, just don't, don't expect too much. But no, seriously, I think this Canadian team... At all senior, all levels, sorry, men's national teams since the last two years, they've always they've shown to be able to to, to accomplish new things. They've been uh, been able to to break through a few ceilings they hadn't been able to break through before. Obviously, consistency is still something they're working on. They're a young group, but a big win tomorrow, and uh, you know another big win on Sunday to get them to the Olympics would show that this team is different. Who knows if that's going to happen or not, but. We're going to find out a lot about this Canadian team these next few days. And then ditto for World Cup qualifiers. I think, again, they should comfortably make it through. But just they need to make the Octo if they want to prove that they're a new new team. Obviously, making the Octo guarantee, like, you know, gives you a chance of making the World Cup, which is the goal. But just making the Octo if you're the senior team has to be the goal. Getting those two games against the U.S., two games against Jamaica, two games against Mexico, two games against Honduras two games against uh, Costa Rica and then two two games each against two of the, the other teams that might join them. 
that would be massive for the program. Even if you don't make the World Cup, just getting those competitive experiences, because by then, just they'll have the chance to go play in front of 80,000 in the Azteca, playing in front of 60,000 in the U.S., going to Honduras, playing at San Pedro Sula. Guys like, as someone, uh, well, shout out to our guy, Felix on our site, as I'll shout out in a sec, he did an excellent art article previewing all of CONCACAF for these games. As he mentioned in there, these are Alfonso Davies' first ever World Cup qualifiers. It's easy to forget he wasn't there last cycle. Ditto for a lot of these players. This sort of experience is massive. And even for guys like just Atiba Hutchinson, Milan Borian, they've had a, a, an opportunity to play a few games like they've played in front of at the Aztec in front of 80,000. They've played in Honduras at the San Pedro Sula. This is a chance for them to actually go compete in those stadiums and actually have a chance at winning. Before it's just pray you get the 1-1 one, one, and then you call it even. This time this Canadian team actually has the talent to win, but they need the, the mentality and that starts with games like this. So that's what I'm going to be most curious to watch and uh, keep an eye out for now. Yeah, it's a couple of real, real prove it matchups on Thursday and uh it's it's all the more exciting because it's been so long in the buildup, right? I mean, it's been like over a year of just this anticipation and and kind of, you know, dreaming about what these Canadian men's setups could be. And we're, we're slowly, yet we're, as you said, we're getting closer to these, you know, Canada versus Mexico full strength matchups in, in front of fans, which, you know, hopefully by... By 2021 or 2022, pardon me, or the end of 2021, we're we're gonna get to see. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Enjoy the matchups, everyone, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely be back with more Canadian men's national team coverage. We're gonna. It's been quiet on the Whitecaps front, but when there's more news coming in, things worth talking about, we're definitely gonna sprinkle that in as well. And uh, yeah, Alex, over to you. Yeah, well, without much further ado, since we've. Certainly, we try to keep this a little shorter with the, with, with all these games coming up. I don't know how well we succeeded in that quest, but you can find me on Twitter at Alex Kungurus, at BTSFancy, BTSFancy.com. Wall-to-wall coverage of Canadian men's soccer, if that's your thing. Breaking down the Canadian squad. All 24 players, if you want to learn more about all of those players. We got you covered. And then shout out to our guy, Felix. If you want to learn about all 35 CONCACAF nations, he's got information on all 35, even... Him and I also offered up some predictions. If you want to see, you know, who, who I think might make the World Cup, uh, tune in and read that. And uh, aside from that, there's going to be post-game coverage. Again, my laptop may explode on Thursday covering four hours of non-stop Canadian soccer, but I'm here for it. I'm just ready to enjoy it. I'll take a, a much-needed rest next week after all these games are over. But stay tuned for all that. We'll be back between the two, between Thursday and Sunday with... Uh, just preview review because again Sundays also has the chance to be an equally big slate of games if Canada wins on Thursday or if everything goes right at the U23 level they, they will have the win in your in semi-final on Sunday as well as Canada the senior team will play Cayman Island so so much coming and I'm just happy to, to be a part of it yeah you can find our show at on Twitter at third sub pod and you can find myself at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter and uh, at 86forever.com where I do my written work we've also been putting together a video series commenting on you know topics in the white caps kind of season preview stuff and uh, shortly we're gonna have over unders for the regular season coming out as well which is which is always a fun one so we're talking standings predictions we're talking goals for goals against 
We did uh, one that's very thematic on the third sub. We did a minutes prediction combined for Theo Bear and Michael Baldissimo. How many minutes they're going to play this season. So all kinds of fun stuff like that. And those will be rolling out every couple days. So check those out. If you if you like the third sub, you'll probably enjoy those, those YouTube videos as well. So uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Mitch for coming on the show. And we'll be back with more again soon.